Okay, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are in uh, week 5 of our Armor Up series. We're going to focus on verse 16 tonight. So um, before we read that, let's do our recap real quick. Um, who gives us the armor? God. Whose armor is it? It's God's. Okay. Uh, whose strength do we stand firm in? God's. Who are we fighting against? Who are we fighting against? Not flesh and blood. That's who we're not fighting against. Who are we fighting against? Satan and the spiritual forces of darkness, right? Um, how much of the armor do we need to put on? All of it. When do we take it off? Never. All right, we're going to keep answering those questions as we go through uh, out loud. We're going to do this each week from, for, until the end of this series because I want you guys not, not just to... Um, to hear this and forget it. I want you to know it so that even if you don't have your Bibles in front of you or your notes in front of you, that, that this becomes a, a part of uh, just, just uh, what's inside you, okay? That, that you know and that you own these truths because the more you know that it's God's strength, that it's God's armor, that he supplies uh, us and that we're supposed to put all of it on and keep it all on and that we don't fight against flesh and blood and that we fight against uh, the, the, the schemes of the devil and the spiritual forces of darkness and the heavenly realms and, and that rule over the earth, the more you know those things and own that, the better equipped you're going to be for battle, Right? So we're going to keep doing this uh, for the rest of the, the series. And so uh, I want to encourage you, if you don't know those answers yet, to, to get to know those. And if, if you heard somebody uh, next to you shout them all out, talk to them this week and ask them to help you uh, remember those things. All right? Because, listen, the, the battle won't stop until we reach eternity. So let's read Ephesians 6, uh, 16 together. You don't have to stand up, but I want to read it out loud together. Uh, and so we'll just read it from the screen up here. All right? In addition to all this, you guys can read with me. Ready? In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What's Paul referring to when he says, in addition to all this? The armor? What armor? God's armor. What have we talked about so far? The belt of truth. Okay, what's the belt of truth? The sandals. Okay, what is the belt of truth used for? What's that? For stuff? Huh? <laughs> Spiritually, what is this what does the belt of truth do for the for the yeah? Physically for the Roman soldier, it does what? Pulls up their bed sheet, okay, the, the, uh, the robe that they wear. It keeps them from getting tripped up, right? Yeah. What we believe is how we behave. All right, truth uh, in truthfulness, okay, that we believe in the truth of God and that that causes us to act according to truth, okay? Um, what, what's, what else? What's another piece of armor that we've talked about? The breastplate of righteousness, what does that do? You got it? You know it? Yeah. Protects all your vital organs. Yes. For the Roman soldier, yes. What does it do for the spiritual soldier, for the, or for the uh, soldier in the army of God? Yeah. 
guards your heart, right? And keeps you uh, protected from Satan's attacks to your heart to keep you from swaying uh, away from uh, uh, Christ, to keep you from uh, being corrupted by unholiness, right? Remember, in the same way that God wants to make you holy, Satan wants to make you unholy, right? So, uh, okay, and then, Maddie, I heard you say the, the, the gospel shoes, right? The feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. What does that mean? What are those for? Stability. Stability. To hold firm and stand together, right? What, what, is, what, is, um, what do we get, okay, uh, from those shoes? Peace with God, peace with others, right? And peace in the midst of the battle. We, the peace that we have with God through Jesus' sacrifice helps us to remain calm in the heat of the battle when, when Satan uh, attacks us, okay? So we have the belt of truth, we have the breastplate of righteousness, and we have the gospel shoes. And now Paul says in verse 16 to take up the shield of faith. Now, he's not referring to, you think in first century Roman, okay, he's not, uh, and there were gladiators and things like that, but he's not referring to this little round shield that gladiators would wear that they would fasten to their forearm and and fight in the hand-to-hand combat, okay? He's talking about something that's much, much bigger. Um, Here's a picture of what a Roman soldier's shield would have looked like, and uh, that actually, on the screen up there, that's about life-size. Okay, so it's, it's about two, two and a half feet wide, and it's about four and a half feet tall. So it's like holding a door in front of you, practically, okay? Um, th- it was made of wood, and then it was overlaid with linen uh, and, um, or leather, and, and that would strengthen the wood, okay? Uh, it was curved, typically, to kind of wrap around the body of the soldier, and uh, um, they were designed not only to protect the individual soldier, but what would happen is that the Roman, these Roman soldiers would would link their arms together and they'd put their shields in front of themselves and then the ones in the back and in the middle would put the shields up on top and you kind of picture this like scale-like armor then. Uh, I, we have a picture of that too, I think. Yeah. They called it the Roman turtle. Okay. Um, but you see that, like try and attack that, right? That's a, that's a pretty strong defense. I mean, that's other than coming in from the sides like that and typically... If you have more soldiers, they're going to have shields lined on all sides, and they put those on top. That's basically an impenetrable force right there, okay? Um, and I've said in previous weeks that most of the fighting back then took place, uh, took place in, in close, close-up hand-to-hand combat. And while that's, it's true that they couldn't radio in artillery and you know, bomb the snot out of their enemies or anything like that, um, they did have some longer-range weapons like bows and arrows or crossbows or uh, even catapults and things like that. Um, but they would have, they would have uh, archers, and, uh, and they would lob uh, a volley of arrows hundreds at a time from a few hundred yards away into uh, these, their enemy, into the enemy camp, okay? And, um, and, and while the armor that the, that the soldiers are wearing... Uh, would tend to stop, you know, maybe glancing blows or things like that. Uh, eventually, with the, the, just the probability of that many arrows in the air coming down on you, if I had nothing else but my armor on, chances are I'm going to get hit, okay? Something's going to find a, a, a gap in between my, the breastplate and my belt or something like that, or my leg's going to get hit. I'm going to get wounded. And um, so, so the armor couldn't stop all of it. And, and, but the goal wasn't just to kill or wound one soldier, okay? You don't lob 300 arrows just for one guy, right? 
Uh, the goal is to strike fear and chaos and disorder into the whole enemy camp. And so uh, they would dip the arrows in tar and then they would light them on fire before they sent them into the air. And so now imagine, I mean, it's kind of a scary sight anyway just to see 300 arrows coming at you. But now they're on fire, right? And so they're coming at you and, and, and what are you going to do? You can't outrun these things. And so... Uh, uh, when they were dipped in tar and they were lit on fire and they were shot, that way when an arrow struck, it would hit that wooden shield and it would catch the shield on fire uh, or it would hit the soldier and it would catch his clothes on fire or even if it missed the soldier, it would catch, uh, most likely it would catch the ground on fire and start this mass chaos and the fire would grow and people would scatter and and so it breaks up that tight-knit group of guys being linked together there, okay? Um, but by linking those shields together, by, by, by putting that on top, that leaves very, very little room for a, a, even a flaming arrow to get through, doesn't it? And so they're, they're much more protected. They're, they're, um, they're uh, like I said, they're, they're practically impenetrable uh, with these arrows. Before battle, um, they would often dip those shields because they're wood primarily, and then they're lined with linen or leather and things like that. So they would dip them in water to soak them so that when the arrows came, not only would it block the arrow from hitting them and, and striking uh, in, into their body, but it would actually put out the fire, okay? Um, fire obviously needs things that are dry that can burn. If it's going to go into something that's, that's damp, then it's going to go out. And so, um, so they would not only block the arrow from hitting the soldier, but they'd also extinguish the flame. And so here in Ephesians 6.16, Paul tells us to take up the shield of faith so that we can extinguish all of the flaming arrows uh, of the evil one. And so in order to understand the importance of this piece of armor, then we need to really identify what faith is and what the flaming arrows of the evil one are. So let me ask you, what is faith? Trusting in something that you can't see physically. Okay, what else? Anybody else have another answer? Nobody? Okay. Um, the Bible actually defines faith for us. And, uh, and Maddie, you, you did a good job. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The ESV, the English Standard Version, puts it this way. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith goes way beyond simply hoping or wishing for something to be true. Faith is being fully convinced that something is true regardless of whether or not there's, there's hard evidence as proof. Uh, the simplest definition of faith is belief. Okay, but, but there has to be an object to that belief. Have you ever been in a tough situation and someone, uh, you know, maybe in, in good uh, effort was trying to cheer you up and they're like, oh, don't worry about it, just have faith. Right? What does that mean? What, uh, faith in what? Faith in faith? Believing that you believe? How, how is that supposed to make you feel better? Aimless belief isn't really solving anything, right? You can't just say have faith. You have to tell them what to have faith in, right? 
you have to believe in something that's capable of overcoming the situation that you're in. You can't just believe in belief. That doesn't help you with anything. Uh, so that, does that mean that you should have faith in yourself? A lot of people tend to have faith in themselves. But let me ask you this, and it's not always the case, but I think typically most of the time um, the fact that you're in a particularly difficult situation, doesn't that mean that it's, it's kind of beyond your control anyway? You might have gotten yourself into that, but again, you got yourself into that. Either way, uh, it's, you're in it, and you can't get out of it, right? Um, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. once said that the great act of faith is when a man decides he is not God. The great act of faith is when a man decides he is not God. True biblical faith is not belief in yourself. It's belief in the person and the promises of God. The New International Bible Dictionary defines faith this way. It says, faith is trust in the person of Jesus, the truth of his teaching, and the redemptive work he accomplished at Calvary, and as a result, a total submission to him and his message, which are accepted as from God. Faith is not to be confused with a mere intellectual assent to the doctrinal teachings of Christianity, though that is obviously necessary. It includes a radical and total commitment to Christ as the Lord of one's life. The shield of faith that Paul is referring to here in Ephesians 6.16 is the safety and the protection that we find uh, from our belief in the promises of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Biblical faith finds protection in the promises of God through the person of Jesus, all right? Again, this lines up with Paul's emphasis in verse 10 that we are to stand strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So far, the common theme in this whole series has been every time we've looked at a piece of armor, that armor reminds us of God's strength, not our strength. That armor reminds us of God's power, not our power. But then in response to that comes obedience on our part, right? The belt of truth, we understand the truth of God and we live according to the truth. And so on and so on. Every piece of armor reminds us of the strength of God. It it backs up what Paul says in in, uh, verse 10, 11, okay? Stand firm in the power of God or in, in the Lord and in his mighty power. So here in verse 16, Paul isn't telling us to have faith in the shield, but that faith is the shield. Uh, We aren't simply to have faith in the armor itself, but in the one who owns the armor and supplies it. Um, Belief in the promises of God through the person of Jesus Christ enables us to wear the armor with confidence uh, that it will hold up in battle because we know whose it is and uh, and we know his power. We know what he's capable of, right? But like the New International Bible Dictionary said, faith has to be more than just an intellectual understanding of the Bible. You can read the Bible, you can understand it, you can, uh, uh, for the most part, you you can get some concepts in it and you can think it's a good idea. But faith, true biblical faith, has to produce a radical and total commitment to Christ as Lord of your life. I like the ESV's translation of Hebrews 11, 1, because it uses the word conviction, Um, intellectual understanding of God's promises says those are good ideas, but conviction of God's promises says these are absolutely necessary to my life. See the difference? The the intellectual um, understanding says, yeah, those, those sound like good ideas, but the conviction says I have to have this. 
in my life. This is a necessity for me. Ideas don't produce life change. Uh, um, conviction produces life change. And when you have conviction in what you don't see or who you don't see, namely God, then you have true biblical faith that will change the way you live. Psalm 18 verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Those are words of conviction. They're not just good ideas, right? Verse 30 says, this God, his way is perfect. The, world, uh, the word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Psalm 91, 4 and 5 says, he will cover you with his pinions under, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a what? Shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. When you stand firm in the power of God because you are convinced that his promises are true and necessary in your life, not just true, but necessary in your life, and you're in total submission to Jesus as Lord of your life, then you don't need to fear the fiery arrows that Satan lobs at you. You're equipped with the shield of faith that Paul talks about here in verse 16. But when you put your faith in anything else other than Christ, then you have a worthless shield that won't be much help against the enemy's attacks. So I want to show you what I mean, okay? I love having a four-year-old son because when I look for um, object lessons, I just go to his toy chest. Nick Agnew, I need your help. I also need one student. You pick the student. This is yours. This is yours. That's all you get. These are yours. Hunger Games. And this is mine. Okay. So, um, there's different translations, okay, that, that uh, translate, um, one says fiery darts, one says flaming arrows, so I thought it would probably only be fair to bring a crossbow and a bow, since this is darts and those are arrows, right? And then you with a piece of paper for a shield. This is, this will totally work, right? Um, how many of you guys think that that's a good shield? Seriously? Okay. Um, I was going to light these on fire first, but then I, I decided not to do that. So, so, um, so you guys think that's a good shield? All right, let's find out. Okay. Let's figure out how to do it. All right. No, you're good. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is the other way. You can set those down. Okay, when I say... Would you guys count us down, and then we're just going to start shooting? <laughs> Keep shooting, Lydia. Aim for his forehead. 
Oh, that one hit your hand. Your hand was a better shield than the paper. You got one arrow left. Make it count. Make it count. No, he just aim for the shield. You got it. Let's light this one on fire. Oh, wow. I'm impressed. Okay, don't go anywhere. So overall, not very effective shield, right? Because we hit you like 98% of the time. All right, we need to find our arrows and darts. We're not done yet. Okay, but you can put that down. And, oh, shoot, I forgot to bring a table up here. That's okay. Um, now this time, go sit behind the drums. Now play the drums. Just kidding. Yeah, here. No, wait, here. We're going to go down there. I meant to grab a little table for you to hold over your head as a shield, but you can use that. You'll get the point. All right, Lydia, let's come down here. All right. Are you ready? Count us down. I'm out. You're last again. Oh, nice shot. All right. All right, give Nick and Lydia a hand. Which shield was more effective, the paper or the drum shield? The paper? Were you guys paying attention? Um, why? Why was the drum shield more, more effective? It was bigger? Went all the way around him? It was sturdier? Yeah. It's made of uh, a better material, right? Yeah. More effective than just a simple sheet of paper. That's right. All right. We're going to come back to this in a minute, okay? So I just I want you to keep that picture in your head. Um, that was, I'm not going to lie. That was kind of fun to shoot at you. Um, we need to know when we're under attack by recognizing the weapons that the enemy uses, okay? In first century warfare, the flaming arrow was meant not only to strike or wound or kill uh, its target, but then to spread fire amongst the other troops and uh, to produce disorder and panic. Two of the biggest fiery darts or flaming arrows, okay, that Satan uses to spread sin uh, in our lives are doubt and temptation. Doubt and temptation. God wants you to believe in his promises. Satan wants you to believe in his lies. They both want you to believe 
One of them is true and one of them's not. God wants you to believe in his promises. Satan wants you to believe in his lies. And the only way that you can get, that he can get you to do that is if he can get you to doubt God's truths, right? So he lobs uh, questions of doubt at you, arrow after arrow after arrow, and he lobs those at you, hoping that one will penetrate your mind or your heart or both and cause you to question God's goodness and love. What did he say to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Anybody know? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And what happened? She ate it, right? And so did Adam. Doubt crept into Eve's heart and it spread like fire in her mind and in her heart and it led her to sin against God. And he uses the same tactic. Satan uses the same tactic with us, trying to get us to doubt the truth of God's word in our lives. Did God really say that salvation is found in Christ alone? Did God really say that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus? Are you sure you don't have to do anything to earn it yourself? Did God really say that he'll always be with you? And if Satan isn't busy trying to get us to doubt God's truth, then he's trying to get us to doubt our identity in Christ. Did God really say that all your sins are forgiven? Are you sure you're even good enough to be forgiven? What about that sin you committed last night when you were alone in your room? Or how about the other day when you cheated on that test in class? Don't forget about that friend that you betrayed when you told everyone her secret. She trusted you, and you blew it. You're not a friend. Your parents are still mad at you because you stole some money from them. If they don't want to be around you, what makes you think that God does? You've screwed up too many times for him to love you. You'll never be able to get yourself out of the hole that you've dug, so why even try? Listen to me. If any of those thoughts are running through your head right now, don't believe them. They're lies. They're fiery darts. They're flaming arrows meant to strike fear and doubt in your heart and mind and keep you from finding freedom in Christ. God did say salvation is found in no one else but Christ. That's Acts 4, 11, and 12. God did say that we're saved by his grace alone through faith in Christ and not by anything we can do. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. God did say he will always be with you to the very end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 20. God did say that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. Satan doesn't want you to trust in that. He wants you to think that God would never forgive all of your sins because they're too many. He wants you to think that Jesus' sacrifice alone isn't sufficient enough to pay the full price for all your sin. He wants to guilt you into thinking that you have to work and work and work to make up for everything that you've done wrong. Satan accuses us of our sin to make us feel unworthy to be in the kingdom of God. He reminds us of our sin to lead us away into despair and to wallow in our guilt. But God reveals our sin to us in order to help us realize our need for him and to lead us to repentance. Remember, God wants to make you holy. Satan wants to make you unholy. Or keep you unholy. And when we put our faith in Christ, we're no longer bound by guilt and shame. Romans 8, 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
In John chapter 6, verse 28, when the people asked Jesus what they needed to do in order to do the works that God requires, Jesus answered them this way in verse 29. He said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The only thing that we can do to find forgiveness for our sins is to believe in Jesus Christ. And that belief itself is a gift from God. It's his work, not ours. He gives it to us as a gift so that only he can take credit for it. We can't. We can't take credit for anything. And when, he put, uh, and, when, and when we put our faith in the person and the work of Christ alone, then we're made right before God. Remember the be- uh, breastplate of righteousness, that the positional righteousness, Jesus' perfect life, his righteousness becomes ours. It's applied to us. And we're no longer condemned for our sins. We've been set free. Satan would have you think that you're still in chains. If Satan can get you to doubt, if he can't get you to doubt, he'll, he'll lob the flaming arrows of temptation your way and try and get you to sin. He'll try and get you to stumble again. He wants to bombard you long enough uh, to try and wear you out so that you'll let your guard down and that you'll give in. Um, some of you know my story. I, I lusted after women for 20 years and, uh, and objectified them through pornography. And now that I'm free of that sin in my life, guess what? In my church email account, okay, I'm eric at crosspointcc.org, I get emails every single day uh, that are, are spam in my church email account that say things like this, marriage is boring, have an affair, or meet Japanese women, or Russian singles. Or the list goes on and on and on. All right? Now, look, I'm not going out and looking for that stuff. I didn't go to a website and sign up for their, to be on their email list. Right? But somehow it still finds me. They just started showing up in my inbox. Listen, temptation will find you. You don't have to go looking for it. The Bible says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You have to be on your guard whether it's sexual immorality or lying or stealing or cheating or coveting or gluttony or disobedience or whatever it is, you won't have to go looking for opportunities to participate in. They will present themselves to you because Satan is looking for you and he wants to devour you. So you need to be ready. But if you try to stand against the temptation on your own power, you'll fall. If you hold up a sheet of paper as a shield... It's not going to last very long, is it? Right? If you want proof of that, then go home tonight and read James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. That'll tell you that the path that leads you from temptation to sin, and guess what? It has to do with your own evil desires. 1 Corinthians 10 gives us a glimpse at Israel's history and warns us not to fall into the same traps that they did when they didn't trust God's faithfulness, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 says, so if you think, you, you look at the, the, the history of Israel and you see their, their mistakes and you think that you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What have we been talking about this whole series? After you've done everything to stand, 
Stand firm then, right? To stand up underneath this. Remember when we, when, you guys remember that, when we shot the arrows, right? That was pretty awesome. You're going to be like, I should maybe note for the podcast that those were Nerf. (laughs) Just disclaimer. Those weren't real arrows and darts. Um, which shield worked better? Which shield worked better? The paper? Or the big one? The big drum shield, right? It provided way more protection, didn't it? Listen, you need to have the right shield. You need to have the right shield. Remember that in all the armor that we put on, it's from God and it is God's. That means that the shield can't be our own. We can't put on God's righteousness. We can't put on God's, the belt of truth. We can't put on the the gospel shoes that come from God and then pick up our own little dinky shield, right? We have to pick up the shield of faith that that, uh, causes us to, to, to rest in the promises of God, that causes us to believe in the faithfulness of God through Jesus Christ. What protects us from the enemy's attack is not our trust in ourselves. It's our trust in God. Biblical faith finds protection in the promises of God through the person of Jesus. When we exercise faith in God and we're radically and totally committed to Christ as Lord of our lives, when we have this deep-seated conviction that these aren't just good ideas, but they're necessary for us in everyday life, And we draw strength from God to stand firm in his mighty power and to overcome the enemy by using the shield of faith to extinguish his flaming arrows of doubt and temptation. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And if you know, want to know what it means to be born of God, you can read John chapter 3. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What's it say? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that his death on the cross is sufficient payment for your sins? That means nothing else is needed. Do you believe that he rose from the dead and that he has the final authority over sin and death? Are these good ideas or are they convictions that lead you to a radical commitment to Christ as the Lord of your life? St. Augustine or St. Augustine, however you want to say it, he once said this. He said, faith is to believe what you do not yet see. The reward for this faith is to see what you believe. Biblical faith in Christ is the shield that not only stands up against the fiery darts of the enemy, but also puts those, the, the, the fire out. And the reward for an enduring faith in Christ now uh, is that we will get to see what we believe, or better yet, in the, the one in whom we believe, and be together with him for all eternity. So take up the shield of faith and find protection in the promise of God through the person of Jesus And one day, you'll no longer need that protection, but instead, you'll find perfection 
when you enter the kingdom of God and the attacks from the enemy finally stop for good. Don't you look forward to that day? If you're a follower of Christ, aren't you longing for that? Aren't you ready for that? And if you're not, if you don't turn to Christ, the battle will never end for you. If you reject him here, he will reject you there. And you'll spend eternity fighting in torment and agony, and the fire will never go out. You're going to hear this every week. And so some of you in here, you've heard this every week. And there are things, I don't know what's holding you back from making this decision to follow Christ, but some, somewhere along the way, this has to become more than a good idea or a bad idea. It has to become more than an idea. It has to become a conviction that changes your life, changes the way you live. Put on the shield of faith along with all the other pieces of armor. Leave them on and stand firm in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let's pray. God, thank you that you give us all that we need for a life in godliness. Thank you that we don't have to do it on our own. Oh, thank you that we don't have to do it on our own. Uh, God, we would fail miserably. We have failed miserably. And I pray that, um, I pray for each one of us in here, God, that, that we would see uh, the Holy Spirit revealing the sin in our lives, uh, that we would see your truth uh, of your word revealing the sin in our lives so that it leads us towards repentance and that we wouldn't let... Uh, Satan show us the sin in our lives and, and try and push us into guilt. I pray that you would help us to see that you are um, more powerful, that you are, uh, that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And, and I pray, God, that, um, that in the midst of the, the fiery darts and the flaming arrows that Satan uh, lobs at us constantly of, of doubt and temptation, I pray that you would help us to hold strong to that shield of faith, to endure the oncoming persecution and, and attacks of the enemy, that we would stand firm, not just individually with the shield, but that we would link arms together as believers in Christ, together as a body of Christ. Lord, your word says to, to flee our evil desires of our youth and to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart so that we can band together in community and that we can... Uh, join our shields of faith together and encourage one another in our faith so that it endures and so that uh, we can stand up underneath the attacks of the devil so that one day we will get to see what we believe and we'll get to spend eternity with you. And I pray for the students in here or who, who might listen to the podcast, or a parent who might listen to the podcast who, who is putting their faith in something besides you, I pray, God, that you would see, uh, help them to see uh, what a weak shield that is over their life. I pray that it would fall apart, and I pray that you'd help them see their need for you, help them to see your love for them, and that you would help them to surrender to you and believe in you to own your truth in a deep, convicting way that changes how they live. And that they'll gain victory in you, in your power, in your strength. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for who you are. Continue, God, to, um, to teach us. Continue to, to help us to understand all these different pieces of armor and continue, God, to, to help us always know whether we have our Bibles in front of us, whether we have our notes in front of us, that it is your armor. You supply it. It's yours. It's your strength. And you call us to put it on in obedience. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.